This is TCE Theology and Current Events number 27, interview with Captain Rainey. This is Father David Nix on the Padre Peregrino podcast. And how are you doing, Emily? I'm good, Father. Thanks for having me on. Great to have you on this. I want to give uh, Emily's CV right here. And if we do future podcasts with her, I'm going to send people back to listen to this one. So the future ones will not be quite this long, but I do want you guys to know what a special guest we have. Um, Captain Rainey was an Army brat, oldest of seven, six girls and one boy. She graduated University of Scranton, a Jesuit university like where I graduated from in 2012 with a BA in philosophy. She was an U.S. Army officer, including being an intelligence officer from October 2012 to November 2015. She was on the cultural support team leader in support of U.S. Army Special Operations Command. She was deployed to Afghanistan from March of 2013 to December of 2013. This included dozens of helicopter infill night raids while assigned to the 75th Ranger Regiment. She was a student at the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare School, including a psychological operations PSYOP qualifications course from November of 2015 to April of 2017. She was a PSYOP officer for the Army, June of 2017 to June of 2020. She had top secret clearance for 10 years. We'll talk later why that was revoked. Distinguished military graduate, also received the Bronze Star Medal, Army Commendation Medal with two oak leaves. She received the Army Achievement with three oak leaves, Military Outstanding Volunteer Service Medal, Combat Action Badge, Parachutist Badge, Valedictorian of the Special Operations Captain's Career Course. And now she's a mother getting a farm going. Now, let me tell you real quick, everybody, how I, how I found her. You know, I, we first started following each other on Facebook and I thought she was kind of this like Lauren Chen evangelical female X-Men of the culture wars. And I like Lauren Chen's work. We follow each other on Twitter. But when I found out Emily goes to the traditional Latin mass and then I think we're going to talk about this later, but it should be a couple days in the past from when we produced this. You will have been, how's that for, for perfect future tense? You will have been on Tucker Carlson by the time we produce this. And I thought we have to have you on this podcast. So I'm very honored to have you join me today. Thanks, Father. I've been listening to Padre Peregrino for quite a while. It's been very instrumental in my, I would call it conversion, even though I was raised Orthodox Novus Ordo, my conversion to the apostolic faith. So really, I have more to thank you for. Oh, that means a lot, Emily. Thank you so much. And, you know, you have heard me say on the podcast, I'm normally against women in the military and still wanted to be on this. But as I said to you off the air, uh, Joan of Arc really stood up when no men uh, went to the plate. And that's going to be a big topic, but kind of like Joan of Arc, um, your own team betrayed you. So let's talk about January 6th. That's the, uh, that's the hard one to talk about. And I want to read you some of the media. Now, if anyone out there Googles uh, Emily's name, you're going to see just like me or great heroes like Jack Prasobic. I, def- I just I kind of define Captain Emily Rainey as the female Jack Prasobic out there. Um, and actually, you're both. He's new to the Latin mass. You've been going to Latin mass for a couple of years, I think. Well, it wasn't contiguous, but yeah. I think it's like a lot of people. Once you kind of catch the bug, it's very difficult, increasingly difficult to sit through the New World Order Mass, as I call it. And, you know, Emily is essentially this superhero of the culture war. So that's, again, why I was really excited that when I found you you go to the Latin Mass. Now, if you Google her name, you're going to find a lot of uh, interesting things about January 6th. So what I put up on the screen first here, 
Associated Press says Army investigating officer who led group to Washington rally. That's the uh, title of the article. And then it says the, the Associated Press reads the Army is investigating a psychological operations officer who led a group of people from North Carolina to the rally in Washington that led up to the deadly riot in the US Capitol by supporters of President Donald Trump. Or the CBS News article reads, officer resigns as army investigates for involvement in Washington rally that led to US Capitol riot. And the first paragraph says a psychological operations officer who the army's investigated for leading a group of people from North Carolina to the rally in Washington that led to the deadly riot in the US Capitol has already resigned her commission. CBS News correspondent David Martin reports. Commanders at Fort Bragg said they were reviewing Captain Emily Rainey's involvement in last week's events in the, nation, in the nation's capital, but she said she acted within military regulations and that no one in the group broke the law. Quote, I was a private citizen and was doing everything right and within my rights, Rainey told the Associated Press on Sunday. And Captain Rainey even made international news. New Zealand Herald says at the top of their headline, U.S. Capitol riot, Trump supporters could have had a mass psychosis. The article reads, the events at the U.S. Capitol were shocking, but not unexpected, especially to those who have been studying the psychology behind U.S. President Donald Trump's MAGA movement. Leading a force of 100 militia to the U.S. Capitol on January 6th was a serving U.S. Army psychological warfare officer, Captain Emily Rainey, as part of the 4th Psychological Operations Group based at strife-ridden Fort Bragg in North Carolina. So now, Emily, I think this militia that you led to D.C., there were mostly older women, if I remember correctly. Yes, that was one of the, you know, kind of more hilarious articles. Not hilarious at the time, more in retrospect, because um, anyone who has seen pictures from that day or was with me on the buses that I chartered, um, knows that the average age of the group was probably in their 60s. Old lady in tennis shoe army is what, you know, I've described it as all of them, you know, faithful patriots, you know, very much proud to have joined them there on that day, but certainly no militia. So tell us what happened with the, uh, you know, a lot of people showed up. I thought there was a few hundred. And when we were talking off the air, you said there, there were probably hundreds of thousands that showed up on January 6th. Um, tell us what happened. You, As you had mentioned, even to the media, somehow they even gave you that tiny bit of truth that you just, as a private citizen, led people. This was off duty, that you were not leading people there as a captain in the army. But when the woke mob goes after somebody we learn that even the people we've gone into battle with, and I've learned this spiritually, you've learned it with the military. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what happened with the military following January 6th, you being um, basically indicted in the international media as one of, if not the main operator that got the quote unquote insurrection going? Well, Father, I'll, I'll just make the assumption that the readers or the listeners haven't read any of this in the media already. And right. um important to note is that I was on approved leave. I was going to what I would term as a nonpartisan election integrity rally. Um, I told my superiors where I would be and when I would be back. Um, and nothing I did was outside the bounds of my constitutional rights. So obviously I can only speak for myself and the group that I led, which I think the, the articles um, 
correctly say was a hundred citizens. So I lead a conservative nonpartisan um, constitutional rights group in my county here in North Carolina. And all of those that were on the bus buses, there were two with me that day uh, were members of that group. So coming back after January 6th, um, I think it, it took a few days for the media to really you know, whip up the stories behind it. But as soon as the Associated Press got wind that there was a psychological op operations officer leading a group of patriots to that day, they were really just hoping that there was some kind of scandals there, there, you know, as they say. Um, and I've been lied about in the media. You've been lied about in the media. And that's where I, as soon as I Googled this, I knew, oh, this is someone who actually is being attacked for doing the right thing. You know, the old phrase, you know, you're over the target when you take the most heat. Mm -hmm. And I think if I had read your story in seminary, I'd be wary of you because I didn't realize how many lukewarm people will lie in the church about someone doing the right thing. How many lukewarm or evil people in the mainstream media and even the government will lie about something. Now, I'm going to throw some pictures of you on January 6th with your group of uh, the people on the bus up on the screen right now. People call this an insurrection. Did you see any violence there when you were out in the Capitol on January 6th? I did not witness any violence, but at the same time, I have seen videos after the fact that I would describe as being violent behavior. Now, um, of course, as a psychological operations officer, we are theoretically trained to be able to stage an insurrection or help to motivate insurrections in other countries. And if I was going to do that on January 6th, that's not how I'd do it. <laughs> this is the, this would be the most amateur, you know, kind of Bush league situation poorest planning, poorest planned insurrection in the history of probably humanity, if this was indeed an insurrection. You told me off the air, someone in front of you yelled, tip of the spear to zone C or something. I thought, mm. later I thought, you know, that sounds like something a liberal would Google. What's the most common phrases conservatives say? Tip of the spear. That sounds like a conservative one. We'll use that one. <laughs> well, I, I think I mentioned to you in um, previously that I actually went to the November rally in DC, the December rally in DC, where I led only one bus busload of people that the media, you know, didn't latch on to that, that story, but then did two buses of folks in January. So the biggest contrast between the November and December rally and the January rally was the absolutely zero apparent Antifa presence because it was, um, as, we've, as we actually did see, um, there was a very large Antifa presence, especially in the December one where, where Patriots were actually attacked. Um, and there was always this kind of police line that Antifa um, hid behind, which is ironic considering their opinions of the police right. um, during the first two rallies. So the fact that they were nowhere let us kind of, we knew that they were everywhere. And they actually forecasted that they were going to be dressing as, you know, MAGA patriots um, in their telegram and um, signal chats, which have been infiltrated already by, by people that are whistleblowing on the, the activities of that group. A few questions so, for you on still on January 6th. 
it sounds like the one point of truth they did get right is you were concerned there was a real stolen, stolen election though, right? Yes, Father. So I actually submitted my resignation um, over a year ago from the date of my honorable discharge. But had I wanted to stay in the military, which I'd already decided to put that in my rear view and move on to other things for my life, that would have not been possible because I was given um, in the military or in the army, especially, we call it a, a GOMAR, a general officer memorandum of reprimand. And there is no, this is all extrajudiciary. There is no, you know, basic standard of, of proving guilt of anything. If you're a general, you can issue one of these career ending memorandums for not liking someone's face. You know, it really doesn't require any even illusion of, you know, proof or justice. Um, we did go through um, what kind of seems like a justice process after January 6th, but I ended my career honorably um, because they could never bring UCMJ or Uniform Code of Military Justice charges against me because I never actually broke any policies or regulations. So when I defend myself and say everything I did was within my rights and within policies and regulations, they just turn around and tell me right back what you did was not keeping with your oath as, as, as an officer or the army values. And then I would say, well, you know, show me that. And they don't have to because this is not, this is extra judiciary. So what I have in my file um, is two permanently filed general officer memorandum of reprimand, which would make continuation of my career impossible. And this is after you were, I think, the first female doing in-full helicopter missions with the Army. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, yes, I would say um, you're right about, I was a bit of a, a darling of the military, along with all the other women that were the first to go in and prove that a woman can hold their own in a combat environment. Um, I would say that the media and even the military found the exact kind of target they were looking for with me after January 6th. On the one hand, the media wanted to portray the entire January 6th as being this massive psyop, and they found a psychological operations officer. And they're like, well, surely there's a connection here. Um, surely, as one article that I read wrote, um, Captain Rainey is the architect of the January 6th insurrection. And then on the flip side, the, the military has been looking for a way to continue to purge its ranks of conservatives. So then there was this whole extremist stand down or white supremacist stand down, which is really nothing more than a conservative witch hunt. And there was a problem they were having after January 6th. And that was, there was no record of a single active duty soldier or officer in any of the branches of the military at January 6th. To my knowledge, I am still the only one that they know about. And so they built this entire 60 day extremist stand down that every single of the 1.3 service members in United States service members were forced to sit down, stop everything they were doing, deploy it or not, and conduct training all about, you know, awareness of extremism within the ranks. If this was such a problem, how come they only have one example? 
That's right. And, you know, I wanted to talk about this in future podcasts, but I think it's good. It's probably worth asking right now. Um, we're going to call just for the people listening. We're going to code uh, the virus going around as cooties. And we're going to talk about the serum as uh, the cooties poke. So uh, even though I, I think I told you, maybe we talk about this in future podcasts, it's probably worth me asking you right now. Is the military purging some of their more courageous people via the cooties poke right now? I think that's definitely what ha- what's happening. And you could ask yourself, well, what's the reason for this? Um, and I don't think, then the answer is rather frightening. Uh, you ha- we all took oaths to be in the service. And I, I, dug, I dug around and I actually found my initial oath of office this is the original copy from May of 2012. And I read it and it just strikes me you know, I do solemnly swear that I'll support and defend the constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. What does, what's domestic mean? Um, if there is a coup happening, if there is a, if they are attempting to undercut legitimate democratic processes, if they are hoping to one day have institute total totalitarianism, you know, whether that's with the, the cootie passport um, or, um, you know, generally, you know, controlling the, the, the money or the resources you need and you need your brown shirts, you need your jack boots. And if I took this oath and everyone else did too, that's a huge problem for this whole plan. And so what do you need to do? Well, you, there is a, ser- there is a series of things you can do to make it so that people within the military will not say no when the day comes and they get the order to turn their weapons inward, as we saw in Australia. That's right. Um, and I, I do want to come back to that. I have a thousand questions on that. But one of the things that comes to mind right now is how you stood alone. And I want to bring a little spirituality into this since you're a Catholic at this point. Um, we're going to publish this on the exaltation of the Holy Cross. And, and this is one of the prayers I bring to our Lord all the time is how is the cross? I definitely see how the resurrection is the glory, but how is the cross the glory? And when I was praying about our interview today, that just kind of kept coming to me is, you know, um, I really do believe you did the right thing and you were betrayed by a lot of people uh, for that. And then how, how do you, how do you see the glory of the cross? How do you see, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas calls it human respect and he actually says we're not supposed to have human respect at the level of like different levels for different people based on their, their status in life. Um, I assume probably some of this has given you the grace of detachment from human respect. Don't want to put words in your mouth again, but do you have any thoughts just on the glory of the cross, detachment from human respect? At least at the, at the natural level, I assume you probably got sifted out true friends from false friends, huh? Yes, Father. Yeah, I think there's a reason why you're breaking the fifth commandment when you slander somebody or you character assassinate. Um, it is truly murder when it's someone's reputation. Um, I don't, none of these things ever, you know, don't end up being the glory of God. If we submit our cares to him, right. If we take it to the cross and that is what I did throughout all of this. I, I asked him to turn it into good. Yes, you know, my closest friends and family have, some have ceased to associate with me. And of course, 
I, I don't know if I did ever apply for another job, whether or not I would ever be accepted considering the domestic terrorist that I am. <laughs> but I can tell you that losing my reputation, it's kind of that dying to, dying to self. You're dying to your attachments. I have never been somebody that's particularly motivated by money, but, but respect was always something that motivated all of my actions leading as, as I was growing up and leading up in my life. I mean, the military actually attracts a lot of people like that have these vices because we get little, little stars, little pieces of little candy, you know, kind of does look like little chiclets that line up on our uniform as we earn this award or that award. Oh, you get this, you get that. And, and so the fact that I wasn't making a lot of money, wasn't the problem. They were giving me the accolades. And so I, lost all of that in one fell swoop and I couldn't be more thankful to God for that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Why, why are you thankful to God for that? Well, you know, I've had to think a lot about the lies that were told about me and what, where my esteem, you know, my, my healthy sense of self-love needs to be built back up in the, in the image of Christ. So where is my dignity if people aren't telling me that I'm dignified? Well, I had to, I had to look at myself the way God looks at me. I had to look at myself as having that inherent dignity, regardless of what anyone said. Um, and, and going back to, you know, the Beatitudes, blessed are you if they, if they hate you, if they reproach you, if they separate you and, and what has happened to not just me, but all of these um, conservatives and Christians who have been canceled. Well, they've, they've hated us. They've slandered us. They've reproached us. They've separated us, um, cast us out um, and all in the name of truth. Even those that wouldn't, you know, that are not traditional Catholics or even not um, Christians or, you know, say they're Christian, if they're fighting for truth, truth is truth. The truth, truth always comes, you know, it's, it's emanating from the truth, big T truth. So embracing that and realizing that they hated him first. That's and right. so you yeah. associate with Christ and that's an honor. That and even though you're not jumping out of helicopters now, you're a mom on a farm, I want the listeners to understand that you're still on the front lines of this cultural battle and the battle for the reform of the church. Something I read in Emily's CV was this, Emily's zero tolerance policy towards cooperating with the scamdemic has caused many to follow her and many to hate her. As a nonpartisan activist, she leads a group of over 2000 locals to enact change and pushback on issues such as mask mandates and lockdowns. Her conversion in recent years to apostolic Catholicism convicted her of truth of Our Lady's words at Fatima about the spread of the errors of Russia. The crisis in Rome that made possible the worldwide Covidian cult is made more plain to Captain Rainey because of her propaganda training and experience. Now, you and I could do another 20 podcasts on that, but let's talk first about what the, uh, what, you know, a totalitarian government might call, quote unquote, civil disobedience. 
back in that park in 2019. I know this isn't quite as amazing as the uh, helicopters or the January 6th, but I think this is an important part of your life that kind of launched you into fighting for, you know, what you said against the errors of Russia at level of church and state. Tell us what happened in that park. So this was Memorial Day weekend of 2020, and I have lost friends in combat. I've lost friends to suicide. I was thinking to myself, how can I really honor their service to, to country, you know? And, and I said, well, they died for our freedoms. And yet here we are, the American people just handing our freedoms over without a fight. And so I was thinking this was back when, at least here in North Carolina, all of the playgrounds had caution tape all over them. Like it's dangerous caution, dangerous to play here. And I, you know, not only is the park one of my son's favorite places on the planet, he's two, um, it, it, it disgusted me particularly because the innocence of children and making play into something dangerous is just so evil and so wrong. So I decided I was gonna go to the park with my son I was going to take down all of the caution tape um, and throw it away. Um, but I also live streamed myself doing it um, and that went viral. And then of course the local media, the state level media here in North Carolina got a hold of it. Um, I did have someone call the police on me, which I thought might happen. So when the police arrived, I respectfully told them that, you know, this is my park. I pay for this park. There's nothing dangerous about what we're doing. In fact, you can thank me. This is just my sass coming out. You can thank me because somebody put up all of this vandal. They vandalized the park with this unnecessary caution tape. It's littering. I cleaned it up for you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, they didn't see it that way. Uh, and they actually issued me a citation for vandalism with a, um, a court appearance a few weeks later and I was banned from that park for a year. You know, in the, the day that we're recording this right now, I want to read from the Roman Martyrology. It says, you know, the Roman Martyrology is about a couple sentences on about 20 different martyrs. So it takes you like two or three minutes a day to read about thousands of martyrs. And they usually put them up the day that they died. So this is one on the day we're recording right now, which is September 7th. I think we're going to release this a week later. But September 7th says, at Nicomedia, the birthday of a blessed martyr, John, who seeing the cruel edicts against Christians posted up in the public square and being inflamed with an ardent faith, stretched forth his hand, took them away and tore them up. This being reported to the emperors Diocletian and Maximian, then residing in that city, they gave orders that he should be subjected to all kinds of torments, which the noble champion bore with such cheerfulness of spirit as, to, as not to show on his countenance the least trace of pain or grief. Now, of course, a bunch of police tape up for a scandemic is unjust. It's not the exact same as tearing down edicts against Christians. But I do find it um, a God incidence that we're recording this on this day. That that's the day that you, you took these things down. And then tell us about your court. This is when I, you and I were kind of following each other on Facebook. And your stuff is greatly shadow banned. I think you've been in Facebook jail quite a bit lately. But one of the things I am right through, now, you're in, you're in jail now. <laughs> well, one of the things that snuck through from Captain Rainey's thing was you had to go to the courthouse there in Moore County, North Carolina. And again, this is the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, she must be like one of those 
uh, young evangelical warriors. And then I, again, I found out you're a traditional Catholic and I was like, this is, this is so cool. But if I remember correctly, the first Facebook video I saw that you streamed of, of all of this was you refused to go in even for your hearing, even for your arraignment, wearing a mask and they didn't know what to do with you. So on the day of my, um, on my court date, when I had to either put a guilty, non-guilty plea, I was going, I was on time, showed up at the courthouse. And then right when I walked in the door, the first thing is somebody comes at my head with one of these thermometer guns. And this isn't a doctor. This isn't a nurse. This is just a, a security guard at the, at the courthouse. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, no. <laughs> and, and as you mentioned before, they don't really know what to do with that, which as I think about it, it's kind of discouraging because why is it so pervasive? Like nearly 100% of the time people are complying with things that are very clearly violations of rights or privacy, whatever. I didn't show up that day to make a statement. I hadn't even thought about it. It's my first time being at court. I'd never gotten in trouble with the law before. So I didn't even plan, oh, they're not going to let me in without a mask or they're going to take my temperature. I hadn't thought about it. But right in front of me, as I was going in, there was a woman with her with two young children. She was very visibly pregnant and I wasn't meaning to overhear, but it sounds like she was going to divorce court. And she actually did allow them to take her temperature and it was high. And so they made her leave. They wouldn't let her come into the court for her court date. And I was just thinking, how crazy is this? Women run temperatures when they're pregnant. This is not a doctor. This is not a nurse. Why does this person have a right to tell this other citizen of this country that they can't have their day in court. And that's when it hit me. I'm not going in there if they're going to make me subscribe to their silly edicts. And as we've seen, you know, all of that compliance has led to more and more silly yet serious edicts. And I think the attitude out there is just if I just back up a little bit with a little bit of appeasement in their edicts, eventually this is going to stop. And no, to be honest, your life is a real conviction of mine because you said to me off the air, you're probably never going to fly again because you are that against the masks. I don't think my listeners realize that yet, that you are that against the masks. You won't do that. You mentioned listen to all my podcasts, but you even challenged me against my green light given towards forged paperwork. And I mean, to be honest, someone who's heard all my podcasts, but stood up to me respectfully without all the ad hominem attacks I see online. I knew, I knew this is the type of fortitude we need to encourage people. Um, I also told you off the air about a priest who put on Facebook a few years ago, a young priest went to an old priest and the young priest said, is the young priest going to save the church? And the old priest said, no, Jesus is going to save his church. And there was all this rah, 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 all these people liked his whole, you know, Facebook post on this. But one of the things I said to you off the air is that's that's really this Protestantism. Protestantism believes Jesus is just going to come do things out of the out of the middle of the year. Catholicism means God is going to send saints. God's going to send a Saint Catherine of Siena when you have two popes. God is going to send a Joan of Arc when no men stand up. And this is that's why I kind of compared you to that of, of your military warrior when a lot of men are just in this state of appeasement and. I think that there's kind of like five categories of people in the church crisis in what you're talking about the mask. Cause there might be a few listeners out there. Probably everyone's left me who, who doesn't come to this conclusion that masks and the, and the cooties poke and stuff is essentially the errors of Russia. Um, you and I have a lot to talk about on, 
arrows of Russia. But I think this whole appeasement thing, I've, I've narrowed it down to five categories. Um, the first is someone who does something like yourself. So about the other four categories. Number two, the person who thinks someone else is going to do it. Number three, they just think God's going to magically make it better without human cooperation. That's what we talked about, quietism off the air. Uh, the fourth is they're just indifferent. They just don't care. And I think we see a lot of people, a lot of clergy in the hierarchy who just, they're mildly conservative, but they don't really care. Um, and then you have the really bad people in the military and the church who actually like that corruption. But let's talk about that number four, or rather, let's talk about the number three. Um, two and three are kind of similar people. They're mildly conservative, but they expect someone else to come and save the day. Um, my friend who used to be on this podcast, and she runs my blog, thank, I'm so thankful to her for this. And she's reading uh, Archbishop Lefebvre, his book called I Accuse the Council. And she texted me this today. This ties in. So if my listeners can just give me uh, one more paragraph here, and then we'll hear Captain Rainey speak again. She said, I'm reading this right now. And what strikes me most is that there is there in the council, we had prelates clearly articulate all the dangers of what they are doing, how to remedy them in a way that met, they even met their stated desires for the council, had those expressed desires actually been their true goal, and they outright rejected those graces. They were given chance after chance to repent over several years of attempted calls to return to turn around their evil course, and they chose to continue along their own way, knowingly rejecting all the sound teaching of Holy Mother Church. And so what I notice is happening in the church and the state with these arrows of Russia is that there's a lot of good people who expect someone else to do it. But ultimately, many of these mild conservatives are in a state of appeasement of just if I just take one more step backwards, they're going to leave us alone. The hierarchy at the very top is going to get better if we just keep our mouth shut and appease them. And as you said to me off the air, the real question I think God wants to ask all of us is, if not you, who, if not now, when? How has that question fueled your life and you continuing to be a warrior even after you left the military? Well, first, Father, let me say that I don't think it should be a surprise to us, any of us that understand what happened in the crisis or are slowly un figuring out what happened in the crisis in the church, seeing that what happened there in the, uh, um, in, in the council itself was very similar to what we're seeing today, because go, so goes the church, so goes the world. The church is always leading the world. Um, the, the hierarchy of the church is was or the, were the ones that were supposed to stop it be, before it was too late. And so when we see people not taking ownership, we shouldn't be surprised because neither did they. And, and that's how it goes. So when you, when you asked me about my mantra, which is something that's become my mantra, if not you, who, if not now, when, well, I had a lot of um, different things that it could made me feel good about staying out of the fray. Um, I have different outs, you know, I'm a young mom, you know, I'm, I'm not a senior leader in the military or in the government. Um, I'm kind of a member of squad in terms of being a company level officer and leader. Um, I could have just said, Hey, this is not my fight. I mean, some might argue that because I'm a woman, somebody could say that it's, it's not my job. Um, but then I just kept asking myself that question and I kept looking around being like, right guys, right. And then, and there wasn't anybody there. So I just said, okay, I'm going to cling to truth little T because I know 
that it comes from the truth, big T. So, um, you know, I believe that God gave us talents. We shouldn't bury them in times of crisis, whether in church or society. Um, if we're not using their, those talents, we're wasting them. Um, and so that's kind of what's been driving me forward this whole time. You know, I told you off the air on January 6th, I wasn't really into Q. I had maybe listened to a few people who mildly listened to Q, but I kind of had this idea, okay, there's 30,000 National Guard troops. We're in the middle of a communist coup. I kind of at least wanted to believe, maybe actually did believe 30,000 National Guard troops were going to Washington, D.C. to make sure the unelected president didn't move in. And when I saw we didn't have one, not one defection out of 30,000 of them, I realized the Calvary's not coming, right? And you mentioned the council. You and I can't rewind 50 years and just show up and be like, you guys are making a mistake or you got to return to the original schemata that actually, by the way, was actually quite good. I mean, so we're kind of in these smoldering ruins right now of post-1963 to 1969 in the church. We're in these smoldering ruins of, I want to say January 6th, but like my friend points out, we really all have been downhill since Roe versus Wade. Really, this happened in 70. So really... Uh, you and I are, you're younger than me, but relatively young people um, following the 60s and the 70s in the church and the state, thinking we can fight this stuff. And then all of a sudden we come to this sober realization that we can't change the past, but we can still live the virtue St. Thomas Aquinas calls indomitability right now. So in all of your battles, um, both fighting for reform in the, in the church and fighting for reform of the state, Emily, how do you make yourself, your, your words, not mine, how do you make yourself uncancelable? Am I saying that right? I don't think the grammar is very good on it, but yeah, uncancelable is not a real word. Um, but I, I've, I've thought a lot about this issue because as you mentioned, and as all of those news stories proved, I was internationally canceled. Um, and, and that is a real very effective scare tactic um, for people of, of why they're not speaking up, why they're not saying anything, because they're so afraid of having their, their name smeared or being drugged through the mud or like having people lie about them or even just think ill. Um, so if we can get over that as being such an effective tool and weapon, then we can, we'll grow our ranks and people that are drawing that line and are not going to budge. Um, you know, the, the mask was never about the mask. It was always about the vaccine. The, the, the cootie poke was never about the cootie poke. It was always about control and a totalitarian takeover and a new world order. So if that's the case, we have to get over the initial jab, which is not really that bad. I mean, if you look, I'm still standing. You don't, I mean, had, you don't mean you're going to take the cooties poke by then. No, you the, mean initial, the, the initial the punch. initial punch, the yeah. initial punch. Right. So if that's if right, I that's took, a great way to put it. Yep. If I took the the best shot they had, the yeah. best punch they could deliver, which I mean, I think I could argue that I did. I, I had, I had the, uh, the chairman of the special operations committee in Congress tweeting my name about what an idiot I was. The, when, if I took their best punch and I'm, I'm standing here today and looking at the viewers and looking at 
the people in my life and saying, it wasn't that bad. You've got to get over it. You've got to get over it. You're not, this is a contact sport. Fighting for truth is a contact sport. You know, this is not going to be no bruises. I mean, if you think about the martyrs, I, I really that, you know, thinking about the way that they died convicts me so much to saying, how is canceling something that's so effective when we had martyrs smiling with the worst of tortures for truth? So recognizing your inherent dignity, recognizing that Christ went through humiliation first, associating the suffering of your character assassination with Christ's sacrifice, looking for the silver lining, like having blessed, like seeing it as a blessing that you have now rid yourself of certain attachments to the world. Um, that's being uncancelable. And I really don't think it's possible without faith to be truly uncancelable. It is, it's fake and you're going to have to keep re renewing, constantly telling yourself, you know, this doesn't affect me. This doesn't affect me. This doesn't affect me. Unless you have the faith where at your core, the, the core circle that is you, you know that their words and the things that they think do not degrade who you are and God, who God made you to be. You know, I look back at a year, year and a half ago, and so many, I think all the bishops of the world essentially closed their churches in one way or the other. And I think kind of the attitude was, again, if, if we just follow, if we jump through this hoop, they're eventually going to leave us alone. One of the things that is so amazing to me is the Latin mass first started to grow a year ago when the regular churches were closed. And now we see this slow strangulation of the Latin mass and it's growing even more. And so it seems like many people in the traditional world, maybe because they've had so many kids, maybe because they've already been sidelined in the mainstream church for so long. But as we publish this on the, the day of the exaltation of the Holy Cross, this is this great mystery um, that, how did Jesus put it? Unless a grain of wheat falls upon the ground, it just remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And that's what's kind of ironic about being cancelable is um, I mean, I think friends have sent more people to my podcast um, than enemies. But the funny thing about my blog is I actually think I've had more enemies lead people to my blog than, than friends, because when they have these outrageous blow up sessions, look what he said or whatever, and they put this on Twitter, it, it leads people to my blog. And that's what's really funny is... Um, you know, I think maybe this is an old Protestant term, but I, I do like it that Christians, it's a little bit corny, but I'm going to say it anyway. Christians are like flowers that when they're crushed, they give out the best fragrance. Okay, maybe a little sappy, sweet saccharine there, but I mean, didn't Paul write, we are to have the fragrance of Christ? And this is what's interesting about the traditional movement is, <laughs> never described myself as a flower, but we're these flowers that get, when we're crushed, we, we bring out more of an odor of Christ to the world. And so I don't think our enemies have, have really calculated the cross into the success of a few patriots in this country and a few traditionalists across the globe. They didn't realize we are founded on the cross. We, look, I'm the first to try to squirm off the cross, but I'm with a group of Catholics, apostolic Catholics, people who believe Russia should have been consecrated as you do, that we're, as much as we want to get off the cross, we're not going to because we're convicted by the truth. Um, 
tell me, Emily, why you're so convicted by the truth. I mean, you know, people, they, some people say that everyone has a different transcendental. Some people are attracted to truth, some beauty and some goodness. And just talking to you, I've even been convicted myself talking to you that you allow absolutely no, and I know you're not claiming to be the second immaculate conception. I know you're not claiming to be perfect, but your, your absolute obsession with the truth. I think you've said it to me off the air as truth is truth is truth. And you mean supernatural truth is integrated into natural truth and a denial of anything of the natural truth, say, you know, saying we should take the cooties poke or put on the mask. That is in some way a not indirect. You almost imply that's a direct denial of Christ. Am I putting words in your mouth with that? No, father, that's, that's basically what I think. Um, and for context, you know, I was a philosophy major. So, I, and I have a, you know, a very wonderful, um, devout mother who taught me from young. Um, but really my understanding of cooperating with lies and why we should never do it has more to do with my own sinfulness and the way I've, I've knew things growing up was taught things correctly and really fell away. I call, I've called them the dark years. Um, and seeing it in my own life when, whenever you, and in the military, anyone in the military or anyone that's done land navigation will, will understand this. If you go even one degree off of your azimuth at the beginning, it won't look like anything. In fact, you'll see exactly, you'll be walking in parallel. It'll seem like parallel to where you're supposed to be, but then in no time at all, you're completely lost. You're on a different grid. You're in a completely wrong grid. You might even be off the map. And, and that is why we don't, we don't have um, the authority to mess around with truth. It's not our job to say humans don't need oxygen. We need to put a piece of cloth made in China on our faces in order to live in this world that God made us to be a part of. I mean, that's a, a direct violation of scientific truth, which is created by God. That's, that's against all natural laws. It's against the order that God created. And so anytime we deviate from that, even just a little bit and say, Oh, what's it hurting? I've kind of gotten used to it. It's only for five minutes while I grab this, you know, something in Costco. Cause I really don't want to go over to this other store that doesn't require it because it's a little more expensive. It's just those it starts off as being inconvenient and eventually it ends up being on a different map. That's perfect. I, I agree. And I think if you look at like, you look at the life of Judas and I'm not comparing someone who puts on a mask once to Judas, but like, you got to wonder what the first little thing where he diverted slightly from really wanting to entrust his life to Christ was uh, back then. I mean, John gave us a little hint. He seems to be a little bit squishy with his handling of the money. Um, when did he really lose the faith? And I like what you said about 20 minutes ago, really without supernatural faith, none of this is going to make sense. I really believe this COVIDocracy religion has been a fill-in for a vacuum in people's lives. If they had just natural faith, not supernatural faith, it just became very easy for diabolical disorientation to go to the very next level of thinking they can't live without the cooties poke. They can't live without the mask muzzle. Um, and Or a twice a day pill. Twice. Now we're up to twice a day on the boosters, right? Right. I mean, it goes back to what you just said about Judas earlier reminds me of King David. 
you know, the only reason he was even there on the rooftop to, to witness Bathsheba was because he was at home enjoying the comforts of Jerusalem when he should have been out with his army. You know, it all just started, well, you weren't where you were supposed to, you were, you weren't where you were supposed to be. You weren't doing your job. Um, and, and that goes for, for everything. You know, what was the first step? Well, in PSYOP and in, you know, this new world order planning, you never immediately jump to where you want the people to go. You start off small and you build until finally the behavior that you are looking to, to have your target audience achieve, they are enacting that behavior um, readily, willingly, and with enthusiasm. Now you, you mentioned PSYOP. I want to I want to go back to something about an hour ago on that. You mentioned off the air to me on the whole January 6th thing. Some people came to your aid and said, yeah, just because she was involved in PSYOPs has nothing to do with it. And you basically said, if I remember correctly, hey, thanks for the defense, but actually me being PSYOP does have to do with this, dot, dot, dot. Can you finish that sentence? Because I'm a psychological operations officer, I have experience, I have the training, I can see what they're doing. I can essentially reverse engineer it. Maybe we'll talk about it in another podcast talk about psychological operations techniques. And, you know, it is illegal to do that for me to practice my tradecraft on United States citizens. In fact, um, in PSYOP, we have to really um, take extra care to ensure that our messaging doesn't even affect expats who are American citizens living in other countries. We have to take mitigation measures. I mean, it is the Foreign Relations Act of 1972 is what makes that illegal for us to do any kind of DOD um, active duty messaging on, on um, United States citizens. So here I am being told, you know, you're going to go to jail if you ever use tradecraft in my training. This is what we're told. You're going to go to jail if you ever use PSYOP on American citizens. Um, and everything we do is reportable to Congress. Congress approves every single PSYOP. So here I am being like, wait a minute. I thought PSYOP was not allowed to be used against American citizens. And here I see it being played out, not just by private companies. We're talking about, you know, Department of Homeland Security, the health services, the CDC, the FDA, all of them using literal PSYOP techniques and messages to achieve where we are, where we find ourselves now and eventually where they want us to go. And, you know, you and I spoke off the air so long before this that really not a lot of what you said today kind of jarred me or scared me or whatever the term is. But the one thing you said an hour ago that we didn't cover off the air that kind of gave me a uh, pretty strong jolt that scared me is when you said the people they're trying to get out of the military, either through sifting through the Cody's Cody's poke or whatever, people they're sifting through the military to get them out is those who are going to refrain from or those, those who they're trying to get out of the military is the people standing up against domestic terrorists. That's really scary to think the U.S. military doesn't want the people who are against domestic terrorists. And how ironic, I mean, this is what Satan always does. He always, Satan and Father Ripperger talks about this on his YouTube channel, demons accuse of the very thing that they're doing. And we see that very same thing is that you've been accused of being a terrorist being the one person who doesn't want to see domestic terrorists take over this country. And, and so, you know, be, take great courage in that, Emily, that um, uh, demons have targeted you 
because of what they're doing to this country. Demons have targeted traditional Catholics um, as being the divisive ones, when in fact, we're just holding to what the apostles and all of our forefathers have done. And I like what you said about 30 minutes ago. I mean, Father Wolf said, all errors flow, or all graces and errors flow from the altar. All, all graces and errors flow from the altar. So, you know, you're right. If, if, um, if we have errors at the altar, how can we expect the United States government to do better than our hierarchy, right? Um, but you know what? We're past it. We can't, we can't change it. Does that mean we throw down our weapons and just go and pout? No. Um, and I, I, com- I compared you to Joan of Arc, as I've said before, I'm not a big fan of women in the military, but obviously God had her canonized to show us this is when, when the men don't step up, this is, this is who I choose. And I want to ask you, um, you know, when, when you look at Joan of Arc and she was kind of abandoned by her own, and then she was even burned to the stake by the Cardinals of England, um, at the end of the day, all you have is Jesus. What have you learned? I mean, the best question is, was it worth it? Is it worth it to pay the price that you're paying right now? Um, going to kind of a little Latin mass chapel, not with the, not one of the mega churches to be aligned or, uh, um, sidelined in the international media. Was all this suffering worth it for you to stand up for what you think is the truth? Well, of course, Father, you know, and all of your listeners know that it's completely worth it, both both in this kind of rhetorical, I'm a Christian way, but also with a understanding of eternal life. So anything that we do in this life on this planet, um, even the most uncomfortable, like as the, as the martyrs, um, it will be worth it. We will, we are storing up treasures, you know. In the military, I mentioned they give you your little candies. You know, you get your you get your little gold stars, literally, or bronze in my case. Yeah, I like to think that just just the same way, but mm. in a in a more real, not vain way. What we do now, something we're we're rewarded, you know, in 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 a real way by God, and we will look back at every bit of the suffering we face for truth. Um, and we'll be thankful that we were given the opportunity and we had the grace to choose rightly. And I think, you know, you were against that part in my forged paperwork, uh, podcast. Um, you know, I did say it's the moral high road not to do it, but without really going down in, into that. So we don't get this booted off of uh, YT. We don't want this uh, booted. So we won't talk a lot about that, but if I understand correctly, you under you really have a very acute sense of just a tiny bit of incense being on that idol. You don't even want a tiny bit of incense on that idol uh, in your life. Is that right? Well, I think we don't know how our lives and our actions are, what the ripple effects of those are. We don't, we don't really recognize who's watching. We don't really recognize who we are inspiring or who we are scandalizing by even our you know, slight compromises. Um, so I do believe that turning in a forged card that even if we can, you know, go through how, how that might be, you know, self-defense or everything that you talked about in your, in your, in your TCE. Um, I think that at the end of the day, 
the scandal that, that you're giving others, the fact that you're not brave enough, you didn't lean on God enough to provide you with that virtue of courage in order, and you left braver, stronger, more courageous people out to the cold to just face this, the consequences of not com- compromising. And that's why, you know, I do think it's the moral high road, but I also think it's what Christ wants. That's, that's beautifully said. And I, I, I didn't finish my thought on the bishops closing the church. I think they, I think a lot of the bishops thought in closing the church is this is not the hill to die on. And what I want to say to them is then what is the hill to die on? And, and, you know, what, maybe there is no more hill. Maybe there's not another hill to die. on. I don't mean that just as like pre-apocalyptically, even though Jesus might return soon. I don't even mean it as pre-apocalyptically as like, because if you miss that first hill to die on, there really is not another one. And if not closing your churches, wearing a mask for a vac for a, for a flu that has a 99.92% survival rate. I mean, if we can't stand up against the fake stuff, how could we die for the real stuff at this point? You know, so there, I'm hesitant to say this, but what if there isn't another hill? It goes back to that mantra. If not who, if not you, who, if not now, when, if not now, when is the real question here? Like, if this isn't the hill to die on, have you identified your real line? Because just like any other logical fallacy, you're going to find that you've already said it was okay. And you are always going to be able to justify the next thing because you've violated the first truth. I'm on a uh, group text with, I think, members of every branch of the military, several guys, I don't know how I ended up on it. And they're all about to get fired for not taking the cooties poke. What would you say to those men uh, of the armed forces on my thread who are all about to get fired for that? Is that worth it? Is that worth putting the, you know, is that worth just a little tiny jab in the arm? Is that worth maybe your kids going hungry and stuff? Well, I have dozens, if not hundreds of friends and associates who are also in this camp. Um, my family, my, my, um, my family is personally affected with this as well. Um, what I would say to those people and what I do say to those people is I would never, I would never tell you to do something that I haven't already been willing to do and that my family isn't already doing. Um, I have had some people tell me, well, if they get all of us out of the military, then who's going to be, who's going to matriculate up the ranks to fix it all? You know, I'll fix it. If I can just, if I just compromise here in 10 years, when I'm a general, I'll fix it. And I just think that that is, um, you're just justifying to yourself at this point, something that, you know, you shouldn't do, you know, you should have the courage to stand up for your rights that are God-given. You literally have an oath associated with those rights that are God-given. You have already said you'd be willing to die in battle. Why now do you stop at just losing your job? That's right. And I, you know, I think probably maybe not just Judas, he's an easy target, but do you think maybe even one of the good apostles may have taken Jesus aside at some point and be like, Hey, I mean, you're doing all this teaching, all these miracles, all these people are coming to you, all these healings, you're raising the dead, people are learning um, the faith. I don't know if they would call it Judaism or Catholicism, whatever they would have said to a first century rabbi who was the son of God. You're doing all these things like maybe you should just kind of like tone it down against the Pharisees a little bit, because if they kill you, you know, no more teaching, no more miracles, no more crowds learning the true faith and all this stuff. 
we know we know Peter said get behind me Satan right but you can almost imagine that was wasn't the worst argument in the world to make to our Lord and yet he doesn't tone it down with the Pharisees and he dies and redeems the world you know Father John Hollowell put on Twitter a few years ago before he got off um I don't know how he got this down to 280 characters, but it was brilliant. He basically said, the guy in seminary says, once I'm a priest, I'm going to stand up for what's right. And the priest says, once I'm a pastor, I'm going to stand up for what's right. And the pastor says, once I'm a Monsignor, I'm going to stand up for what's right. And the Monsignor says, once I'm a bishop, I'm going to stand up for what's right. And then you look around and you're too compromised to make any changes by that point, you know? And so this, again, this goes right back to you. If not you, who? If not now, when? And this is what I've said on previous podcasts, St. Teresa of Avila, Christ has no hands but yours. He has no feet but yours. And, and in certain cases, he has no mouth but yours. Um, and I think this is where we have to say, we don't go looking for fights. Uh, you mentioned the dark years. Um, we both went to Jesuit universities, so we probably had many sins confessed, uh, having gone to Jesuit universities. And I had my party years and you had your party years. So I don't want anyone to hear, we're claiming to be perfect people. But there also comes a point where even with a speckled past, like Peter or Mary Magdalene, you look at your life and you say, um, Jesus died for me. He lived no compromise. I'm going to start trying to live no compromise for him. And I know this is probably oversaid in the mainstream media uh, or the mainstream Catholic world that we need saints, but really that is the only answer. But saints aren't made by just being pious. Saints are made by rejecting a pagan religion that we have front and center right now, this COVIDocracy. And, uh, and that's why I asked you on this podcast, Emily, because I've seen no one else out there who um, has stood up more courageously in the Catholic world against this COVIDocracy false religion than you. So I want to thank you for your courage on this. Thanks, Father. I just want to tell you know, the rest of your listenership that this is, I'm no one special. Like, Nothing I did, I did I seek out attention, even when I've live streamed things, it was just to my small group of people that follow me and then it just leaked out from there. If you are standing for truth, you are going to be attacked. Um, be ready for it, don't be shocked by it. Um, and then you have to also ask yourself conversely, if you're not being attacked by anyone ever, are you doing the right things? The Bible would say you should at least question that. And I, I understand that there's room for different kind of virtues. You know, prudence is a virtue. St. Thomas Marx showed us how you can go a long time um, not coming out, guns blazing, you know, St. Athanasius style. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of different ways but um, I think you mentioned it to me in a text or something. Um, they both, you know, both. Um, both John Saint the Baptist. Both John the Baptist and both St. Thomas More lost their heads eventually, despite, you know, their styles being different. Over the same topic, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think um, one of the things, too, is to realize we can't, you know, things might be too gone at the whole United States level, at the global level of the Catholic Church, um, but it's not for God. And that's where he picks us at the local level to do these things. So I want to include one thing you said in your CV here. You said, uh, um, since resigning, 
Since recently resigning her commission after nearly a decade of service, the 31-year-old Captain Emily Rainey bought a small farm and in light of the current predicament is working to build a self-reliant homestead for her and her family, which God willing will one day be a refuge for others. Emily continues to lead her county level conservative activism group with a current focus on electing new conservatives to the board of education. This is something that Steve Cunningham at uh, Census Fidelium talks about a lot uh, is um, making these differences in your county at the home level in, um, I think a lot of people are pulling out of the school boards for public education, but you know, uh, the real local changes. And so even though you're not jumping out of helicopters anymore, um, you're still leading, as you said, this county level conservative activism group. Anything to add onto that, any encouragement for people who, um, or, or maybe even just the refuge for others, just this understanding that like, you can prep and homestead without being a weirdo. You can prep and get ready um, while still having this notion, this doesn't have to be a cult that we're gonna be open to other people. How do you, how do you kind of balance that world of prepping and not wanting to be the next Waco facility? And we're going to maybe well, we'll talk I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a weirdo or not. I think there are some that might argue. <laughs> yes. Even I'm a, even I would say maybe I am, but um, I think what, after all of everything that I've been through um, one of the things, one of the many things that I've learned is to kind of adjust the style of warfare. So at the beginning of 2020, I, you know, my prayer life wasn't even very robust um, because I didn't understand that this, I didn't fully grasp that this is a spiritual battle. So, but I don't at the same time think that we don't belong in the world, um, even if we are not of it. So as much as I am, you know, picking up my rosary more in all of this, um, there's still such a need um, for for us to be acting in our communities. I always say all politics is local, um, but we should be asking in our prayers, we should be asking for bigger things, in my opinion. You know, it is not too much to, there's, it's not too much for God to say, let's convert all of the United States to apostolic Catholicism. That sounds crazy to everyone, but it is easy for God. So why aren't we praying for that? Why aren't we praying for um, traditional truth-seeking Catholics to get duly elected and to represent us in this Republic? Um, I think, I think refocusing the type of warfare and understanding that we can bring God belongs in public spaces and let's put him there. Let's bring him back. If we look around and we count the numbers of the people, you know, that don't want to see this communist coup in the country, or the, if you really look at the percentage of Catholics in the world going to the Latin mass, it's really like probably 1% of 1%. But, and I'm not saying that everyone goes to Latin mass as a saint by any means, but like God only needs 10 people. And I think this kind of ties back to what you were saying too, about the example, like you never know who's looking. Um, but then even above that example of who's looking like, God is looking and he might just be waiting for a few people to be extremely courageous, to live non-compromise, to live this indomitability before he flips everything. I mean, I don't know. I don't know his mind on this type of stuff. But if you look at the Bible, he certainly doesn't need a lot of people to do his miracles. He needs a little faith, it seems like, but he doesn't need the majority. The opinion poll has never been in God's favor. <laughs> right. And you know, we have less than a mustard seed clearly, but 
if we had a mustard seed, look what we could do. So whenever I've felt that despair, like what's the point, or we really should just be praying for God's return. Yes, of course that too, but it's the devil that gives despair. No one, you know, God doesn't provide you despair. So if you're feeling despair or you're feeling like something's pointless and trust me, I've gone through that cycle in all of this with my, with my own life, but, um, the feeling of despair is not from God. So you have to ask yourself, why are you giving into it? You know, use your talents in the world like God intended. Emily, where can people find you on social media? Well, right now I'm on Facebook, although I am in jail for another couple of days. I'm also on Instagram and I'm working to build some of my more um, less censored platforms. But if you start there, you can find me at Emily Grace Rainey. Great. I will put the uh, right as we're speaking. I'll put it at the bottom of the screen. Facebook is emily.rainey.94. And then your Instagram is at Emily Grace Rainey and Vonde Farms. How did you pick that name Vonde Farms? I think I think well, probably most of my listeners know, but it's worth explaining. Well, of course, the Vonde were the only, you know, organized opponents, opposition to the French Revolution. So as I build this business, and I see this, the humanism that's taken over uh, the world and you know, this atheism that's pervasive throughout our country. I'm just looking to reinstall Christ the King at, you know, on the throne in my fam- with my family and everything that we do. So if I'm going to start a business that's going to be, that's counter-revolutionary um, in its core, it makes perfect sense to choose that as a name. Maybe this, I hate to say this after all this patriotism, but maybe this country built on Freemasonic Protestant principles was always going to collapse and Christ, our King, is the only King we need enthroned in our hearts at this point. For another podcast, Father. Another podcast. Thanks for joining us, Captain Emily Rainey. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Father.